Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Plus Model Radio, the number one podcast for plus-size women. I'm your host, Shanice Lewis. Today is Monday, September 28, 2009. And as always, I've got a great lineup for you today. But first, set the date for the fourth annual Hollywood Now Love Your Body Day, set for October 24th. Well, where Plus Model Magazine will be holding our first annual model search where you'll have the chance to win a one-year contract with brands, model, and talent, a campaign with hips and curves lingerie, and the cover of Plus Model Magazine. For more information about the event, visit loveyourbodyday.com, and for more information about the model search, visit plusmodelmag.com. Coming up later on the show will be Erica Watson and Darren Trinacosta, but first up is Kate Harding. Kate is a co-author of Lessons from the Fatosphere, Quit Dieting, and Declare a Truth with Your Body, and founder of the Internet's most popular body acceptance blog, Shapely Prose. She's also a regular contributor to Saloon.com broadsheet and recently published essays in the anthologies Yes Means Yes, Visions of Female Sexual Power and a World Without Rape, and Feed Me, Writer's Dish About Food, Eating, Weight, and Body Image. A graduate of the University of Toronto and the MFA in Writing Program at Vermont College, she lives in Chicago with her husband and two very old dogs. Let's welcome Kate to the show. Hi, Kate. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you for having me. Now, you've been quoted as the most influential of the dozen of fat acceptance, acceptance bloggers who have emerged in the past few years. So how mm-hmm. did this happen? It beats me. <laughs> um, I just I kind of started writing the blog and it uh, it took off beyond my wildest expectations. Um, I think that when I started in 2007, in spring 2007, there were only a few people who had kind of been at it long term already, Big Fat Blog and, and Big Fat Deal and a few others. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of got in there at the right time because a few months after I started and like the Rotund, my co-author Marianne started, we both did it in spring 2007, then suddenly all these other Fatosphere blogs started popping up. So it was like... So all of this we, happened just over two years. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, we just sort of got in at the right time that it looked like we were on the cutting edge of the trend, you know. So. Right, right. Now, your blog, Shapely Pros, um, mm-hmm. has a team of four people, including you. So yeah. how does that work? Does everybody post, or are they your assistants, or how does it work? Oh no, no, no. we're all uh, we're all equal posters, absolutely. Um, you know, I still my name is on the blog, which is mostly just because I started as a, a, the blog as a way to use KateHarding.net. Um, so if I had it to do over, it actually you can access access it through ShapelyPros.net now. Okay. Um, so, but. Yeah, I mean, my co-bloggers are people that I brought on because I really admired their writing so much elsewhere, either on other websites with Philly Junk and Sweet Machine, or um, Sarah was a commenter of ours who was around for years and was just so smart and so funny that when we wanted someone new, we said, you know, it's got to be her. Um, and so I, I invited them um, precisely because I wanted people who I knew would just write fantastic stuff and I wouldn't have to supervise and I wouldn't have to edit I could just uh, have more content on the blog without me having to do anything. So. so, but you're still the creator and like the director of the blog. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm the founder, and and I'm, 
you know, one thing is that I'm the only person who's using my real name on it. So oh. the buck ultimately stops with me. Everyone else is using a pseudonym, okay. um, which is fine. Is there a um, well, you know, I did this in part to promote myself as a writer, whereas my co-bloggers all have different day jobs that might conflict with doing this kind of blogging publicly. Uh-huh. So they want to protect their identities. Very interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. now you wrote a book, Lessons, from the Fatosphere. So what is the Fatosphere? <laughs> the Fatosphere is, is the name that came up for all of these uh, fat blogs in the, you know, fat blogosphere. Um, and uh, the, that started with um, with the feed notes from the fatosphere that uh, a blogger who's gone now, but who went by Fat Foo, started um, not too long after I started blogging. And so she started collecting that up, and our publishers really loved that term. Um, that wasn't the original title, but they were like, "We love this word fatosphere. We've got to use this." So, so that's just a slang word. <laughs> yeah. Online. Yeah. Okay. So. One of the things I saw on your blog that you're an advocate against uh, BMI. So tell us why you don't support mm-hmm. those standards. Oh, because I think I mean, for starters, it's it was originated as a tool to look at uh, you know to look at obesity rates and and overweight rates population wise. Um, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm getting over a cold, so forgive me if I cough. Okay. Um, but it's now been applied to individuals where even the people who originated BMI would say that it was never meant to, you know, you were never meant to say, oh, well, my BMI is 34, so that's, you know, inherently problematic. It's just a matter of looking at sort of weight distribution across the population. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, it's just a measurement of your height and weight, basically. It doesn't take into account your percentage of body fat, your percentage of muscle mass, or um, how old you are or what gender you are or what your frame is like, you know. I I actually have very tiny bones. I'm not, you know, one of the, you know, quote-unquote big bone fat girls. But there are lots of people who have, you know, legitimately big bones and they weigh more than my bones weigh, you know. Oh, so really? That's not just a, a, a... Yeah, I mean... I mean, it absolutely is. I mean, there there are kind of two definitions of big boned, and one is the euphemism for fat, but the other is just, you know, people have different body frames. Hmm. And some people are, you know, built smaller and some are, you know, like if you look at my hands, they're really skinny. Mm-hmm. Um, my bones are little. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, um, I saw a, a slideshow um, on your website that showed it really well. Mm-hmm. And some of the different terms, you really couldn't tell the difference in the bodies. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, what I was trying to show there is how imprecise that is and that, um, and also how skewed our perception of what overweight is and what obese is. Um, Because, you know, so often these are illustrated with um, a picture of someone who's very, very fat and, you know, that is used because they're presented as freaks that are supposed to, you know, evoke this which I hate to begin with because it just reinforces the idea that very fat people are, you know, less than fully human and that they're just objects to be ridiculed. But beyond that, it gives us an idea that, you know, this quote-unquote obesity crisis is about people who are built like that who are like 5% of the population, maybe 6%, when most of the obese population is is way on the lower end. It's people with a BMI between 30 and 35 Right. So, um, you know, I'm actually at the high end of that. I, my BMI is about 35, and people are constantly telling me I'm not even fat. So, right. you know, that's people don't have an idea of what obesity means in BMI terms, and then BMI is what's used to set your insurance rates to, um, you know, to promote the latest study that says, you know, being obese is going to kill you. They're not talking just about someone who, you know, is housebound. They're talking about someone who you might not even think is fat. Right, right. The media always use the most extreme example. Right. So let me ask you a a question about uh, the modeling industry, especially Mm -hmm. plus-size modeling, because that's what this show is a lot about, fashion and modeling. So I saw in an article you wrote for Jezebel, Mm-hmm. And you wrote that you were torn seeing plus-size models held up as groundbreaking examples of real women in the yeah. media. So explain to me what you meant by that. 
Um, well, I said a couple things, which is, first of all, I just want to say that I, I object to the term real women to describe women with curves, because I think that naturally thin women are real women, too. We're all real women, so I have an issue with that term. But beyond that, it's just like, I mean, I think plus models are wonderful. I would love to see more size diversity on the runway and in magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, they're acting like these are still people who very often are, you know, size 12, size 14. They're just not even in real plus sizes in the stores necessarily. Right. Um, and so I think that, you know, we're holding this up as this example of, you know, look at how incredibly enlightened and um, and fat accepting we are. And it's like, uh, no, you know, these are women who are built like the, the average woman, A, and B, are stunningly gorgeous. So, you know, accepting how they look is not really that much of a challenge for the culture. Um, but which is not to say that plus models so? Do you think that's oh, for sure. the right direction? For sure. I think it's, I think it's huge. Um, I just interviewed Crystal Wren for Salon a few weeks ago. And, um, and what size is she? Did she tell you? She's a 12, yeah. Hmm. Um, she says she's usually a 12. And, um, and she's not, you know, she's just barely in, like, the overweight BMI category. So. Right. Um, but she's, uh, but certainly, you know, she's a lot bigger than she was when she was starving herself to be a thin model and a lot bigger than most thin models. Um, so I can see how within the industry, that's an enormous difference between a straight model and her. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in terms of representing the diversity that's actually out there, it's not that huge of a leap. Um, so I think it's, you know, I don't mean to downplay it. I think it's wonderful. I think it's amazing that she's getting mainstream work and really kind of breaking ground that way where she's not just sort of marginalized as a plus model and other plus models are kind of, um, being allowed to shine more now. Um, what would would your ideal plus model be of someone in the media? Oh, gosh. I don't, um, you know, who's, uh, I, I do... Like, are you saying, like, who's my favorite who's out there? Oh, no, or what's not my name, theoretical my ideal? Way. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't, uh, you know, honestly, I think my ideal would be seeing a whole bunch of different body types out there. So it wouldn't just be, you know, I don't have one ideal of a size of a model that I'd like to see or a particular look of a model that I'd like to see. What I'd like to see is the industry embracing more different sizes, shapes, ages, colors, so that we could really, you know, see be more diverse. Yeah, mm-hmm. more diversity and, and just more people represented in that world, even now, if it is still a heightened fantasy world, you know? <laughs> yeah. Speaking <laughs> of the different sizes, um, mm-hmm. do you ever get criticized by um, people in the fat acceptance movement that you're not big enough to be a spokesperson? Yes, I do. Um, it doesn't happen as much now because I've I've ranted about it so many times. But um, basically, I, so I think. What size are abs- you? Are you comfortable telling? Um, sure. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm about a size 18, a straight 18, or a plus 16. Okay. Um, and I think it's absolutely a valid point that because I'm kind of on the smaller end, that I haven't experienced a lot of the worst discrimination. That um, I haven't experienced a lot of the struggles that somebody who weighs 100, 200, 300 pounds more than I do does. Mm-hmm. Um, so to to that extent, I think it's totally valid to point out that I'm operating from a place of relative privilege and um, and that I'm not always as conscious of the full range of fat experience that could be. But also, I don't like being told that I'm not fat enough because I do have my own stories of discrimination of people yelling stuff at me of people treating me really poorly mm-hmm. um and so you know you can say that my experiences along those lines might be lesser they might be less frequent than someone who's much bigger but i don't think it's fair to completely invalidate them or to say that i'm not fat when as i just pointed out in a post the other day i'm actually fatter than most fat people statistically speaking <laughs> Like, in terms of my BMI, you know, it's higher than most obese people's BMI, so. Well, on the flip side, do you think um, a part of that argument could be you are a great spokesperson for the acceptance because you're accepted by mainstream and you can take the message further? 
I think I think that's there, um, and I try I try to be aware that that privilege is there and to use my power for good and not for evil, you know, <laughs> um, because because it is it, it's an unfair advantage and it really disappoints me. But I know that it is true because I'm thin because or thin relatively speaking, I'm obviously <laughs> not, but you know, um, but compared to plenty of other people who um, who are active within the movement, I'm on the thinner side. I'm white, I'm blonde, I am a lot of things that are very acceptable to the media. Um, and that no doubt has an impact on how much attention I get. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to be grateful for that and be cognizant of the privilege there and to um, and to really use the platform to advance the cause beyond, uh, you know, what just makes my personal life better. Mm-hmm. Now, what tips can you give to the ladies listening to learn how to love and accept their bodies? Um, well, they should buy our book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's number one. <laughs> Which I'm saying very much tongue-in-cheek, but quite sincerely, that is actually the topic of the book, is it's practical steps to loving your body. Um, so I would say that uh, the biggest thing for me, I would say read, you know, read widely. Read a lot of the fat blogs and try and... Um, you know, and and read feminists too about looking critically at at the media images and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think my biggest piece of advice—well, my two biggest pieces of advice. One, quit dieting. Just stop it. It's not, it's not going to make you thinner in the long run, and it's just going to make you crazy. And two, be patient with yourself because I know a lot of people come to fat acceptance and they they read about the concept and they think intellectually. Well, that sounds really smart. You're right. There's absolutely no good reason to hate myself. But when you're undoing these years and years of emotional baggage and, and um, self-loathing and self-criticism, it doesn't happen overnight just because you realized, oh, yeah, it would be a good idea to stop hating myself. So, mm-hmm. you know, you need to kind of um, be patient with yourself and understand that it can take a really, really long time to get from the point where you say, okay, I want to stop hating myself to the point where you actually do. Now, does your blog give... Um, tips to women, or is your blog more about things going on in the world? Um, it's it's both. You know, definitely there are tips. There are a lot of um, we write about our personal experiences with different aspects of excuse me um, struggling with our bodies. <coughs> excuse me again. Um, but and we also respond to a lot of stuff that's in the news. Um, so I would say there are definitely tips in there, but that's not necessarily the focus of it as much. It's more of a general just kind of discussing um, body image and the way the media reports on it. Now, what advice could you give to someone listening that wants to start a blog and be a part of the fatosphere? Um, I would say that, you know, first of all, just start the thing. Just go to WordPress or Blogger and, and get yourself going and start writing. Um and then go around and read the other blogs and comment on the other blogs because that's really the easiest way to build yourself up at first is to just get into conversations on other people's blogs and you know and and not necessarily just going and dropping a link to your own blog in there because that's just annoying that's you know fair. you have to actually yes just participate in the conversation and if you say enough interesting things then people will start clicking through your name to your own blog and so if you add someone on your blog role where they automatically add you back or you have to become friends and known and how does that work? Not not necessarily. I mean, some people do contact each other, but I think generally most of the people I know just, you know, you find a blog you like to read, you add it to your blog role. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes it's mutual. Like sometimes people will notice in their referral logs, oh, I got a link from this other blog. Oh, I should link to them too. But that's not necessarily how it works. I think your blog role should be blogs that you um, really enjoy reading and can kind of stand behind because otherwise it's just a list of links that isn't really worth it. Right. Now, do you have anything coming up we can be on the lookout for, any appearances or anything new coming out? Um, I am going to be at uh, Marquette University in Milwaukee next week um, on October 7th in the evening. I think it's going to be 7 to 9, but it might be shifted. So watch my blog for an update on that. Um, I'm doing... Love Your Body Day stuff with with Marianne, my co-author at Cornell in Ithaca, New York, um, October 15th through 18th. There will be different events over those few days. Awesome. Um, 
And so, yeah, so those are the next couple things and hitting a few more colleges later on in uh, the season. And what are all the official websites where we can keep up with you? Uh, you can go to shapelypros.net, um, and that's uh, that's Shapely Pros, obviously. My author blog is kateharding.info, and I also write at salon.com, and I'm currently uh, guest blogging at jezebel.com. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It was an honor to speak with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I hope you feel better soon. Oh, thanks. <laughs> All right, take care. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Next up is Erica Watson. Originally from Chicago, Erica Watson is a stand-up comedian and film television director living in NYC. Erica Watson is featured in the highly anticipated Lee Daniels film, Precious, opposite Monique Lenny Kravitz, Sherry Shepard, and Paula Patton, which is being distributed by Oprah Winfrey in conjunction with Lionsgate. Earlier this year, Watson starred in the 20th Century Fox theatrical release, Dirty Laundry, and she is currently featured in two commercials for the Oxygen Next Network, Trustify, and Kiss and Tell. Most recently, Watson was a featured commentator on five different BET specials, and because of her views on Politics and pop culture, Watson is a reoccurring panelist on the BETJ talk show, My Two Cents. Watson is also the director of the reality TV series, My Model Looks Better Than Your Model, on BETJ Network. And when she's not performing in various comedy clubs in New York, she's hosting events around the country, and she also has a new one-woman show called Fat Bitch, which is touring around the country. Let's welcome Erica to the show. Hi, Erica. Hey, thank you so much, Zach. Well, thank you for being on the show. Now, tell us how you got your start in entertainment. Hear me? It's breaking up, but I hear you. Oh goodness! Can you okay, hear I hear you good now. Okay, I was saying, wow, that intro sounded so good. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Made me sound like I have some money or something. I'm like, okay, <laughs> couldn't be so broke, man. But let me call some people and get some checks. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get your start in entertainment? Oh my goodness. Well. I mean, you know, as a child, I was always really involved in the performing arts in Chicago, but I guess I really started getting involved in theater more so when I was uh, an undergrad. I was directing and writing a lot of theater at my school, and then I went on to get a, a bachelor's degree in film and television production, I started producing news, um, and then I realized that wasn't really my calling. My calling was being on the stage, entertaining people, and I've been doing comedy now for almost four years, so it's weird to go from behind the scenes to being in front of the scenes now, but I'm loving it. Now, tell me about your role in Precious. When I read that, I was like, I didn't know she was in Precious. Oh, you did? oh yeah. That's I'm, big. I'm so excited. I'm, I, I play a woman named Sheila who's an abusive caretaker of this little girl named Ruthie, uh, that you see periodically through the movie. And in a lot of ways, Ruthie and I's relationship is kind of like foreshadowing, well, actually backshadowing, if that's a, such a word, um, to kind of explain how Precious and her mother's relationship probably came to be. So I don't want to spoil too much by saying too much of what goes on in the movie, but uh, I'm I'm pretty mean in this movie, so it was a, a, a big stretch from, you know, usually being the funny comedic girl uh, this, it's a serious role, and I had a great time. So was that filmed in New York, or you had to go to Atlanta? No, we shot that in New York. Uh, Dirty Laundry was actually shot in Atlanta, but uh, Precious was shot right here in New York, in Harlem. Uh, and it was just, wow, to work with Lee Daniels, who is an amazing visionary. I don't even want to call him a director or a producer, because that really doesn't, sum up the whole of who he is mm -hmm. he's just like he's so brilliant that is crazy and um just to be able to be on set with him and to be directed by him I feel like I've made it even if I don't do anything else in life I can say 
I was on set with Lee Daniels and directed. And it's an Oscar buzz going around about that movie already. Yes, I'm telling you, Monique is going to win an Oscar. I'm speaking into existence now. I'm sure people have been telling her. Um, The same for Gabby, who's the lead in the movie. Gabby plays Precious. Um, If if they don't get nominated for an Oscar, and if the movie is not nominated for Best Film, I will be totally, like, flabbergasted because the movie is amazing there's been nothing like it ever and i really part of me is like man our audience is ready for this because it's deep it's real it's it's artistic it's it's beautiful it's it's everything you can imagine especially with it being such a heart-wrenching story Mm -hmm. um it touches on every emotion there are some funny parts in the movie and some really deep stuff and then there's some scary it's just it's just crazy it's really crazy now, let's talk more about you. I'm definitely going to see that movie. Yeah. But let's talk about your blog. Now, um, you have a blog titled, Tired of Being the Pretty Fat Chick. Now, well, tell us what that means and some of the things you write about on your blog. Well, in honesty, I actually started the blog to document uh, my weight loss or my frustration with trying to lose weight. Um, I constantly, like every other big girl, uh, get the whole, you're so cute, you have such a pretty face. Ooh, you have such a pretty face. And I get tired of being summed up into just a pretty face as if the rest of me doesn't matter. So the, the blog was just coming from that frustration of tired of being the pretty fat chick, tired of being people, tired of hearing people say, oh, you're so cute to be a fat girl, or you're so pretty to be big. Like, they say these things as if they're compliments. So I was mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm frustrated, I'm mad, let me go ahead and lose weight and see how my relationships with people and how my world will change if I'm smaller. And haven't really been successful at losing weight, probably because I really am not wanting to all that much. You know, mm-hmm. when you are doing something because other people are pressuring you to do it, it's not going to happen. So really the blog has become a celebration of me saying, this is who I am. I love me. Yeah, I am a pretty chick, but no matter what size you are, I feel good about yourself and love you. So that's really what the blog is about. So it's just my my take on life. But I'm kind of, I don't focus on the weight so much anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just about everything, pop culture, relationships, love, sex anything you can think of, but it's from the perspective of a girl who does deal with weight issues. And sometimes I think we see the world a little differently than other folks. Now, as a plus-size woman in entertainment, do you feel there are a lack of quality roles for you? Oh, goodness. I think that overall there's a lack of quality roles for women period, no matter what size. Because even if you are smaller or considered the stereotype of what's beautiful, you're still just going to end up being somebody's girlfriend or somebody's mama. Those are really the only two roles you see in Hollywood. So Mm -hmm. then add on that the weight, it makes it especially hard, I believe. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I feel that Things are opening up. You have directors and producers that are like Lee Daniels, that are like the production team of the Dirty Laundry movie. Um, shout out to Nathan and Crystal. I have to say hi to them. Um, that kind of are really opening their minds to casting not based on size and casting based on talent. So while I do think it does make things a little more difficult at the same time, a lot of times I am the only girl like me going out for a role because so many women that are plus size hold themselves back. They don't go out for things because they feel like, oh, I won't get that part. But I go in for it. If it's calling for a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, size 2, I will fight to get in for that role and read for it. And I've lucked up because many times directors see me and they're like, oh, okay, she's funny or she's good. Let's go ahead and even if they don't give me the role I auditioned for, I'll get something else. Mm-hmm. But the truth of the matter is my main problem has been coming from me getting casted and then not having the proper clothes to wear because of my size. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I was um I got offered a role on a major sitcom. This is a bit role. Um I won't say what it is, 
but they called back to let me know that the the people in wardrobe were not going to be able to find something for me. As they were, repl- I was replacing someone else at a last minute thing, and they had to go with a smaller actress because they had the outfit in her size. And I well, you know couldn't just bring your own clothes with you. They had well, to was, find somebody else. It was playing a security guard, okay. so you know it it was a role where you know they pretty much needed somebody to wear exactly. Uh, they had it there, and I couldn't do it. And it's just kind of like, wow, even when um, I've shot things for other people, it just, it's, it's just painstaking to get, you know, designers to give clothes. You, you would think it would be easy, but it's not. So that's been my major problem is I get the roles, but then what am I going to wear? Well, since you are also a director, have you ever thought about directing a project for plus-size women or yourself? Yes, I have, um, and I'm working on a project right now that uh, is going to be a very, very funny comedy, not making fun of us at all, um, because I'm definitely moving away towards that, making the fat girls the butt of a joke, uh, totally not doing that. But it is going to be a romantic comedy uh with a full-figured woman as the lead. Now tell me about your new one-woman show, Fat Bitch. Yes. Erica Watson is a fat bitch, but society made me this way. Um, The show is really, it's a look at America's obsession with size and weight and how race and class and gender all come into play um, to you know, keep this stereotype of the fat and sassy black woman woman going, even when many of us don't live up to that role. Um, a lot of times when you see full-figured women on TV, we're playing a bus driver or a security guard at the Medicaid office or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, some other fast food worker role. But mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is that in life, in real life, we are the main character in our lives. We're, we date. We, we have lots of sex. We fall in love. We fall out of love. And we're doing really highbrow professional careers. But you don't hear about that. So the media images and then what's going on in real life don't add up. So my show is just expressing my anger with that, my anger with the whole mammy mystique and how, you know, the full-figured black women were always the side character, the sidekick to some character, and we're helping them get their life on track. When in real life, I am my own one-woman show. I'm running things. I'm not somebody's sidekick. Is and the title of your show meant to get attention or do you re- really refer to yourself as a fat bitch? Well, I don't. I, what I do is I talk about when I've been called that by people. And I talk about how if you're called something long enough and if you don't have enough strength in your own identity, you'll begin to take on those attributes. So there were times when I was walking around and I was just a fat bitch. I was mad. I was angry. If I was on a diet, I was mad, angry, and hungry. And just being a bitch (laughs) to the world, I was just a total bitch. And, you know, it's like when you, if you, if a guy tries to talk to you at a club and you don't want to give him your number, the first thing he says is, well, forget you, you ugly fat bitch. Or if you bump into a girl, some skinny girl at a club, and she spills her drink on herself because of you, instantly you're a fat bitch. So it's like I get called that day in, day out by folks. So I'm going to show you all what a real fat bitch is. I'm going to reveal to you what it is that you all have done in society to make a woman like me feel the way I feel and act the way I act and talk the way I talk. This is how a fat bitch comes into being. Now, is this... Is this show appropriate for all ages or mature audiences only? I would say mature audiences. Definitely college kids can come and see it, so I say 18 and up. But I do talk about, you know, adult themes. It's not really heavy, full of profanity, um, you know, but it, I, I do get real about my sex life. I'm, I'm real about um, dating and things that have happened on my job and real-life situations. So, um, no, it's not for kids. So how can we support your efforts besides buying tickets and seeing the show, of course? Are you looking for sponsors for your show? Oh, yes, I definitely am. You know, because of the title, I feel like some people have a preconceived notion of what the show is. Um, But the show is really 
thought-provoking. It's, it's hilarious. It's very funny. But it's a well-produced show, and I'm really looking for clothing. I'm looking for a clothing sponsor. So I have reached out to some designers and some major labels, and it's been kind of hard to get the momentum going. So I really, if I could find someone, because my show is going on in October in New York, and then in Chicago in November, and I want to look fabulous while I'm on stage. So any, and what any, kind of things are you looking for? Something sexy so my breath can be out. I want to look good. I need, I need, I want to get off stage and have a man. That's what I want. So I want to wear, <laughs> I instantly want a husband and an engagement ring on my finger as soon as I get off stage. So, um, you know, something, something hot. I like the rocker chick stuff. I like a lot of things I see people out here doing. I love Monique C. Um, her new stuff for fall. I love Torrid's new stuff for fall. I love Ashley Stewart's new stuff um, that they're doing. So, you know, something that's trendy and hip and hot and, you know, not your grandmama's clothes. Not No moo-moos. No moo-moos. Nothing Mammy would wear. What I put on would make would make Mammy feel very shameful. She'd be like, oh, my God, what is that girl wearing? So, so you know, if somebody's I, interested in being a sponsor for your show and providing clothing, like would their logo go somewhere? Or Oh, yeah, definitely. I will pump them up as much as possible. They'll be included in the press release, especially for the Chicago show, because um, my show is being produced by um, an NBA player named Nazi Muhammad that's a good friend of mine, and my show is already starting to get a big buzz because it's like, why is this – athlete producing this girl's show and it's called fat bitch like what is that relationship all about so just because of him alone people that would have normally not been interested in the show have been interested so uh but yeah i'll spread out and the, the thing is there have been clothing companies that have said we'll give you something but we don't want our name associated because of the title of your show and i don't want my show to run people away i really mm-hmm. um because it has a very powerful message and, you know, it's funny, rap music can use the word bitch all the time and they'll play it on the air, but as soon as a woman embraces the word and uses that a title of her show, it's a problem. So, I, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of, it's very interesting. But um, So how can someone contact you if they're interested in helping you out with the show? They can contact me through my website, ericawatson.com. Um, they can also look for me on Twitter. It's uh, Twitter backslash Erica Watson. And um, you can also email me at erica at ericawatson.com. And how can we get tickets for the show? Oh, tickets for the show. Um, the show in New York is at The Tank. Um, I, I guess you could probably, I should know this right, um, you can find the tickets on brownpapertickets.com. I don't know the uh, the number of the because the shows are done by numbers. But if you look on brownpapertickets.com, you can get the show for The Tank in New York. And then the show in Chicago is at the Chicago Center for the Performing Arts, November 19th is when the show opens. And you can go to their website. You can Google them and find the Chicago Center for the Performing Arts and get tickets directly from their site. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure talking with you. And thank you're doing some really big things. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you. I'm doing it for everybody. I'm really trying to rep us in the mainstream um, right. because I think it's important that we touch the masses, that we stay just in our little community and aren't, don't make other folks aware of what we're doing and what we've got going on. It probably will harm us more than help us. So the same to you, Shanice. I love what you're doing, um, and you are making a big, powerful, bold statement to the world at large. So I totally admire you and everything you've got going on as well. Yeah, we're definitely going to be teaming up in the future. Yes, girl, we got to talk about it because <laughs> i, I got to get out to L.A. I'm coming. Well, all right, girl. Well, <laughs> enjoy the rest of your evening and much success on your show. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Bye. Now, last but definitely not least is Darren Trinacosta. I'm going to have to make sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. Trinacosta, New York, is about contemporary looks that breaks the rules when it comes to shopping for sizes 10W to 24W. To do this, Darren derives most of his influences from his early years in his beloved hometown of New Orleans, his spent time abroad in Europe, and from his now everyday life experiences in New York City. 
His garments are steeped in the old school charm of the South and mixed with the brash modernity of Manhattan. Darren partnered with Catherine Schuler in many ventures together, but the one closest to his heart is the creation of the first ever runway show for plus size models curved style. Although many opportunities followed that watershed event that was curved style, Darren felt the market was still light years away from making a more significant impact in the fashion industry. It was the lack of choices for plus-size women that eventually led Darren back to designing and Trinacosta, New York, was born. Let's welcome Darren to the show. Are you around with me? That sounds pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, the way you said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show. And now, Erica was a trip. She was funny. <laughs> Erica, Eric, I'm over here in Sunnyside, Brooklyn right now. She and I need to get together and go have lunch. Yes, I'll definitely have to hook you two up. Yeah, she now, was funny. tell us, how did you get your start in the fashion industry? Uh, let's see. When I realized I wasn't smart enough to be a doctor, uh. I was going, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I went to school to originally I wanted to be a doctor, um, and I found myself just not able to really sit down and read and concentrate in the library like probably most med students do. Mm-hmm. And I was always dreaming and wandering around and, and really couldn't stay focused uh, inside of a book. But once I, uh, once I came to the realization that that wasn't for me and I really uh, started opening up the idea that I could take art classes and that there may be an opportunity to have a career in the arts, uh, I really found myself and I fell in love with it. And uh, it was the first time I really, you know, became happy. And what was the first thing you pursued? Because I know you're creative and do many things. So what was the first thing you went into? The first thing. Well, I started out, uh, I actually started out as a fashion designer. I I left Loyola University in New Orleans, and I was going to Parsons. And one of the first jobs I had, uh, and this will show you how old I am, I did some clothes for Babyface's wife, Tracy. Hmm. And... um, I was uh, working part-time at Neiman Marcus doing visual displays. Uh, his mother came in, uh, asked me if I'd come to their house to do the decorations. And somehow I got to talking to Tracy, and she needed some custom-made clothes, and, and that really is what put me into fashion. And uh, decided that uh, this is probably where I needed to be and, and went back to school and finished my degree in that and then uh, took off for Europe. Now, one of the things I say when I get interviewed um, is that being raised in the South, plus size is more acceptable. So Much you being from New Orleans, do you feel the same? And that could be part of the reason why you embrace the plus size market? You know, it's funny. I'm Italian. So, mm-hmm. you know, Italian is, is like most Latin cultures. You know, curves are very sexy to, to Italian men. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so growing up with women with curves and growing up around women who, who had uh, a sort of uh, sense of self-confidence, mm-hmm. and it, it, just, it just seemed normal to me. Even though I was probably the smallest one in the family, you know, I grew up around women who were very curvy. Mm-hmm. And I guess it just it didn't seem different to me. I mean, even though I pursued a career in fashion photography, uh, after designing, I kind of uh, left that behind initially, and then I went into the photography end. Although I began in the skinny market, transitioning to plus wasn't really a shocking moment for me. It was it was a natural progression because Cause some all, designers wouldn't touch it with a ten foot pole. Not not if you paid them a million dollars. I mean, I've right. been in that situation where I've I've seen designers, uh, buyers from major department stores begging big designers uh, to open up their lines to include plus sizes. And it wouldn't go near it for the fear that it would ruin the brand. You know, there's this mm-hmm. assumption. It's interesting, though, because they'll sell them the lipstick, they'll sell them the handbag, the shoes, the perfume, but somehow they won't let the clothes go. Clothes seem to be the, the end-all, be-all for a lot of designers. It's their brand image. And mm-hmm. um, I just I didn't understand it. Why did you want to make a clothing line specifically for plus-size women? Well, I think it was I think it was Catherine Schuler that really had a big impact on me because I had spent probably the last before coming to New York, I had spent probably the previous seven to eight years working exclusively in what would be considered the skinny market. You know, I had lived in Paris for a few years and worked, and then Milan, 
and then I traveled throughout Europe working as well. So I had a and really in Europe you were a designer or a photographer? Just a photographer, because after working as a designer initially, um, I kind of became a little bored with it, mm-hmm. and the photography became sort of the natural extension because I had worked on photo shoots uh, as a stylist and as a designer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and I think a lot of creative people have a bit of ADD, you know, where mm-hmm. we want to do everything because it's all visual and it's all tactile. Mm-hmm. And I really loved it, and um, I got behind the camera and I created images that I that I wanted to see. And having the background with design, it allowed me to not only style it, but then conceptualize it. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I spent probably a good seven years working overseas doing that. And when I was in New York visiting on holiday, uh, 9-11 happened. And I got stuck here, and I couldn't go back to Paris. And uh, I met Catherine Schuler, And she came to me and just said, look at what you're doing for these women. Why not do it for us? And I said, Let, let's do it. You know, I thought it was great. I mean, it was the one thing that I enjoyed about living in Europe was that they really uh, appreciated pushing the boundary or going beyond uh, just what can sell. They really wanted you to do things that were different. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe plus size wasn't one of them, but the, but the idea behind pushing yourself and trying new things was always a part of growing as an artist. And, um, and, and she got me started. Now, what types of clothing are included in your collection? Well, I would say that I'm more of a mixture of anthropology meets J. Crew. Um, okay. A lot of that is, is is not just because maybe I wear those types of clothes more the you know preppy clothes, mm-hmm. but I think I think I'm also having been involved in retail and fashion for so long. Uh, I tended to start my business knowing what I could sell versus Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. I mean, there's a big difference between what I would really love to do and what I would really like to make an impression with. But at the end of the day, I I do what I think I know is going to sell. Because, you know, a lot of times um, plus-size women, you know, they're not as quick to jump on the bandwagon with the trends. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it takes a lot of money when you're creating a collection and you have to kind of know at the end of the day you're going to get your money back. So you so, do like classic clean day wear. Yeah, things that you know, things that are maybe steeped in classic, a classic look, but that mm-hmm. can be that can be styled any which way you want. I mm-hmm. mean, a simple dress can be put together with anything from a great pair of heels to Converse sneakers to cowboy boots. It's just, it's it's I hate to say it, but it's generic enough that you can put your own sense of style into it. And it's versatile enough so that when you buy it, you know it's going to be in your closet for a while. Mm-hmm. The basic uh, pieces that every wardrobe should have. Yeah, that mm-hmm. should every, it, yeah, exactly. Although I'm in, you know, right now in New York, as of today, I'm finishing up spring and summer 2010, and I nervously am pushing the boundary towards a more fashion-forward collection. Okay. And Why honestly, nervous? Well, because, again, it it has to do with money. You know, I think that, when you see big design, real designers, big designers like uh, Marc Jacobs and, and, and Marnie and Prada and all these people experimenting with new trims and details and fabrics, you know, you've got an entire industry that's going to promote it, magazines, models, celebrities, and that leads the average consumer to want to have it. But when you're a plus-size designer, you don't really have a voice. You don't mm-hmm. have big names pushing you. You don't have magazines promoting you. You don't right. have billboards saying you have to have this. Yeah, it's so grassroots. It's very grassroots, and you have to know that the amount of money that you're investing into your company, that it's going to be more, it's going to be a return. You're actually going to be able to just survive and come back the next season and make money. So it's, it's a matter of getting art and commerce together. And I, unfortunately, we don't have a magazine in which we can display our work. Right. And and show not a print one. No, not exactly, exactly. Or, you know, we don't have a platform on most major television shows where plus six women are very sexy or dress very well, mm-hmm. kind of to what Erin uh, Erica was saying. So, um, you know, you see a lot of things happening on the runways this past season, where, for example, they put all the those really big zippers on the outside of the dresses. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and that's what we're experimenting with, pushing that type of treatment. But, you know, in the back of my head, I'm hoping that my customer saw those shows. Right. She, so they know, know what I mean? That, so they know that that's what's happening. Because now, unfortunately, in, in, she, in your sorry. intro, um, I mentioned that your your clothing runs from a size 10 to a 24. What exactly. is the price point for your clothing line? Uh, the new price point, everything this year, it's, we called it our own economic stimulus plan because um, the economy's had a big impact on us. Uh, this year, everything except one piece will retail for under $100. Okay, so this is cheaper than your other collections. Much cheaper, and it's still the same. All the fabrics are European fabrics. We've got a cashmere wool dress coming out. I think, don't quote me, but I think it's $89. Mm, okay. Um so we were able to still keep um, the fabrics and the detail, you know, and the and the, the nice work, uh, but we had no choice but to bring it in at a better price. Now, what do you think makes your clothing line stand out from others? Mm, that's a good question. Um, the fabric, I think mm-hmm. they're, you know, I think the fabric's probably one of the biggest things that we, we're known for because it's high um, quality. It's all high quality. I mean, everything I buy, you know, the, the pencil skirts and the bootcut trousers this year, they're all imported from Italy. It's Italian tropical wool stretch. Uh, some of the dresses are cashmere and wool blend. Um, the satines are from England. So I've been able to, to, to get resources where I'm able to buy fabrics that are typically only used in the high-end designer collection, mm. um, as opposed to just a low-end knit good because I, you know, I know what is in most plus-size stores. Mm-hmm. I know what most plus-size women wear, and I think that the one thing that I set out to do was to say, you know, let me show you this fabric. Let me show you this. And once they and get so their when hands you wash on it, it, it won't fall apart. Hello, you know. I mean, <laughs> it's not only that. I mean, there's this. You know, th- this woman wants to feel precious. She wants to feel special. She wants to feel designer. She wants to have that same experience that I see when she goes with her girlfriend shopping at those stores, mm-hmm. but she knows that she can't buy anything in there, and her mm-hmm. skinny girlfriend is buying all the really cute stuff and the mm-hmm. great fabrics and all the detail, but she knows at the end of the day she's going to be limited to what she can really get. Right. And it's really kind of the same stuff that she's always had, but it's maybe just a different color. So, yeah. <laughs> so you partnered with Catherine Schuler to create Curve Style, so... Are the two of you still working together and working on projects together? Well, Catherine and I will always probably be together. I mean, we're we're great friends, and she, you know, I crashed on her sofa that whole time during nine eleven. So I mean, mm. she's like a she's like an older sister to me. Oh, a sister to me, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> In case she's listening, let me watch what I'm saying. But um, Catherine is is working on a bunch of new projects. She's on uh, I think it's QVC for Nutrisystem um, mm. for diabetics. So mm-hmm. she's introducing that. I mean, Catherine's all over the place, and she's always doing stuff. Um, and we're constantly uh, keeping each other up to date on what we're doing together. I We would love to do another curve style. I mean, that was what really put the two of us on the map for plus size mm-hmm. uh, because it was it was a major event in New York City during Fashion Week, and it was the first of its kind. Mm-hmm. But um, in this economy, chances of us finding sponsors to produce such a big show is hard. Uh, is hard, yeah. And you know, plus, and then you add to that plus size. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, it's. But I've, I'm always open to it. You know. Now, are you still active as a photographer um, for hire? Can somebody hire you for a, a portfolio test? Uh, yeah, I, I shot a few um, tests this week in New York City uh, for Wilhelmina. I did um, a few plus. Do you know Jordan Tespi? Yeah. Uh, we, I just shot Jordan uh, yesterday. And okay. um, so I I mostly work uh, through the agencies because they I, I just have had consistent work through them. Okay, so but, like um, nobody listening can just call you up and oh, book no, you? Oh, no, 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 not at all. That's not it. Um, I've just had such consistent work with Wilhelmina, it seems to be in the agencies in New York. But mm-hmm. um, I can, I guess I can always give you my website or my phone number. Um, yeah. And I, I, when I travel, I've worked with uh, girl, new faces, as we call them, mm-hmm. uh, girls trying to break into the industry or try to tra- break into the business. 
mm-hmm. uh, they'll call me up and say, we need, a, we need to begin a new portfolio. Can you help me? And, and you can um, actually style and do the hello. photo shoot. You, that's right. You don't do hair and makeup, do you? And, and wait a minute. And I'm also from New Orleans, so I can cook you a mean dinner when I'm finished. Oh, uh oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's an all in one package, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you got a good package deal going. Right? <laughs> so um, if anyone wants to book you for a photo shoot, do they go through the clothing? Um, website to contact you, or you have a direct email? I have well, I have a, a new website. It's my name, so it's DarrenTrentacosta.com. And so uh, I pronounced it, it right. You did. <laughs> and, uh, and on there, there's a contact me section, so you can contact me or write me there. And um, uh, you can go through the website of the clothing line as well, which is just Trentacosta.com. Mm-hmm. Or uh, you can email me at Darren at Trentacosta.com. Now, do you at the end of the day, you'll be able to reach me somehow. Somehow. <laughs> and you're on uh, Facebook, huh? I'm on Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, D. Trent Acosta. And, um, yeah, I'm not as advanced with technology like you. I'm looking at you right now online, and <laughs> I, need to get it, I need to get it together because you're all over the place. <laughs> and I'm realizing that this is, this is the way it's going, and I need to just kind of uh, get with it. Yeah, definitely. Now, do you have anything else coming up we can be on the lookout for? Um, any shows, events? There's a couple of events. I'm not really sure of the dates yet. I mean, I've gotten some phone calls for some events that are going to be here in New York and in Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, and the new uh, fall collection comes out October 31st, and it'll be online. Um, and it'll be at boutiques listed online. Okay. And, uh, and then the new spring resort collection will be out in January. So I'm I'm trying. I'm pushing as hard as I can to keep it like the straight size market where – I release collections every three months, okay, and uh, with new stuff, and um, and then I've got a couple of photography jobs, a couple of editorials on hold in New Orleans. Oh, in uh, New Orleans. In New Orleans. So they, do uh, they do high fashion photo shoots in New Orleans? I didn't will know that. If I'm doing it. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> it's actually for a couple of different magazines that um, that will allow me to shoot the the. the uh, the job down in New Orleans. Oh, so everybody uh, flies in, the models fly in and everything. Yeah, oh, and okay, I'm trying, okay. and I've always, and I will say this, I've always, no matter what job I have, I've always pushed to open uh, the model casting to include plus-size models with my job because I don't think it should just be straight-size. You know, if it's a plus-size, I'm not opposed to a, a straight-size model, and if it's straight-size, I'm not opposed to plus-size. Just I like more should, diversity. I think it should all be open to each other. I think mm-hmm. the, the separating the markets is ridiculous. I mean, a woman is a woman, you know, and she comes in different sizes and shapes, and that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to stop seeing, our, seeing the market as separate markets and bring it together and unify it. Right. You know, right. You, don't lose, you don't lose your sense of identity based upon your dress size. You don't feel less sexy based upon your dress size. You know, exactly. you're, not, you're not less pretty because of your dress size. Exactly. So I think we need to remember that and encourage, just like the designer in London who, um, you know, threw everybody a curveball when he included plus-size models to open and close his shows in London, and the entire market went nuts. Yeah, some people are outraged about that. Can you believe? But I think <laughs> well, he did I can right. believe I, it because how people I are. He, I think he did the right thing. I think he's smart, not only just from doing the right thing, but I think from a business point of view, Designing for that woman as well is, is is a smart thing. Right. Good for him. Well, and good for you um, with your clothing line. Much success on everything you do. And I can't wait to meet you because, you know, I'm from Louisiana too. Oh, I didn't know that. Where from? I'm from Baton Rouge. Ah, okay. So you don't talk as funny as we do down there, though. No, but I, I talk country, though. I just don't uh, talk French country. Can you can you make a mean roux or some gumbo for me? I can make some jambalaya. Yeah, That's my well, dish. well, we'll see about that. We'll have we'll a cook-off. We're going to have a cook-off then. <laughs> Not a dance-off, but a cook-off. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for being on the show. All right, sweetie. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And thanks again to all of our guests on the show this evening, Kate Harding, Erica Watson, and Darren Trinacasa. 
Tune in next time, and we'll have more plus industry professionals with stories to not only inspire you, but to keep you connected. Interested in advertising on our show, being a guest, or have comments, email us at guests at plusmodelmagazine.com. And if you haven't already, don't forget to join the Plus Model Radio's fan page on Facebook at facebook.com slash plusmodelradio. For more information about our show, go to our website at plusmodelmag.com. I've been your host this evening, Shanice Lewis. Thank you for tuning in and supporting Plus Model Radio. Until next time, keep thriving in your curves and be blessed. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.